My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here and just want to welcome you to Element Church. Excited that you're here um, and uh, excited that you chose to join us for worship this morning. So uh, what I want to do is I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 12. Now, some of you brought a Bible. That's great. If you didn't, there's one in a seat around you. Um, feel free to open up to the table of contents if you need or if you just want to make it really simple. Most of you know this. Just pull out your phone or your tablet. Open up the Bible app. Uh, if you hit live events, uh, your phone knows you're at Element Church. You can click Element Church, and actually all the scriptures, all the announcements, everything that we're going to mention today is already laid out for you in the Bible app. And then if you actually want to respond in certain ways, like there's a connection card in your seat. And if you want to share a prayer request by using that card, if you're a guest with us, uh, we would love to know more about you. You can use that card to let us know about you. You can also fill out that whole thing uh, in the Bible app uh, if it makes it easier for you there. So John chapter 12, um, we have been on a journey through the Gospel of John, and uh, we are starting chapter 12. Actually, I, the, two weeks ago, I hit part of chapter 12, but, but I, I skipped the first eight verses, so we're going we're gonna to cover those this morning. So um, John chapter 8, starting, um, excuse me, wow, uh, John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 8. So I think what I'm going to do, this is not a really long passage, so I think I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go back and we'll review a, a few important points and, and uh, find something that really hits home and, and we can take home with us today. So um, chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrant fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me." So let's back up. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12 and just point out a few things. Now, it's been quite a while since we were um, in chapter 11 for the most part. Um, so let me just give you a few details. In chapter 11, Jesus performs like the grand finale of his miracles. Um, as a matter of fact, it's the last miracle in the Gospel of John. And so it's kind of his grand finale. Um, he hears that Lazarus is very sick. The Bible actually tells us that Lazarus uh, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were good friends of Jesus. And so Jesus heard about Lazarus, and instead of going to heal him like he had done so many other sick people, uh, he just let Lazarus die. And then he shows up four days later and calls Lazarus out of the grave and raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, so it's kind of his grand finale of his miracles, um, and it, it kind of is the culmination of what Jesus has been teaching and preaching and what he's been doing in his ministry. And so um, Jesus, after that, um, does a little bit more traveling, and then he comes back to Bethany, which is where Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, live. And, he, and 
John, the, God, the, the author John, tells us it's six days before Passover, which means Jesus is six days away from dying. Jesus knows what is approaching. He's actually been trying to prepare his disciples. He keeps telling them uh, what's going to happen, even though they're not getting it, because in their frame of mind, all right, the Savior should never die, right? The Savior is supposed to be a king. He's supposed to bring freedom um, from oppression, uh, which they assumed was the Roman army and the Roman emperor. And so in their mind, there is no way a Savior could or would ever die. So even when Jesus talks about his own impending death, the disciples, his own followers, just don't get it. But Jesus knows it's coming. He knows that tensions are building with some of the religious elite who are looking for an excuse to get rid of Jesus. And the, the resurrection of Lazarus is sort of that final straw. We actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, when we were in chapter 12, verses 9 uh, through 11. But they not only made plans to kill Jesus, they actually made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Because just the fact that Lazarus was walking around alive was a threat to them. Because it just showed how much power and authority Jesus had even over Death And so Jesus comes back to Bethany, which is just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and he's going to wait there just for probably a day or so because he's about to enter into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. And so this is kind of the setting. Jesus shows back up to Lazarus' house, and it says here in verse 2, so they gave him, that's Jesus, or they gave a dinner for him, that's Jesus, there. So, so this is probably some sort of honorary dinner for Jesus. This is something that uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha have set up to honor Jesus. He has come back, and obviously there's a lot to be thankful for, right? Mary and Martha are incredibly thankful uh, that Jesus has shown up, shown his power, and raised their brother from the dead. Uh, needless to say, Lazarus has plenty to be thankful for. And, um, and so they're throwing him a party. And so this is probably some sort of dinner held in honor for Jesus. And so uh, it says that Martha is there serving. Lazarus is there sitting with Jesus, reclining with uh, Jesus at the table. And then Mary, Lazarus's other sister, it says takes a pound of expensive ointment. Now, we see here in a minute Judas's response to this. When Mary takes this pound of ointment and she pours it on Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair, and we'll talk about some of that here in a minute, uh, Judas's response is, this is absurd. As he watch, watches what happens, he's like, this is absurd. Who would do such a thing? And here's why, at least in part, he has such a strong reaction. Um, John tells us in uh, first century terms that this ointment that Mary had used was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's worth of wages for the common sort of basic manual labor. We would probably think of it something like minimum wage type job. Um, and it was a day's wage so, so that's 300 days worth of work. And in this society, um, there's none of this like eight-hour work days, right? 
you're working at least 12 hours. So I just did the quick math uh, on my calculator, just out of curiosity. I didn't even know this, but the minimum wage in Colorado is 10.20 an hour starting this year. And if you calculate that out by 12 hours a day for 300 days, that's $36,000 in today's standard. So Mary has just poured $36,000 on Jesus' feet. And Judas' response is, this is absurd. This is crazy. So Jesus is going to sort of rebuke Judas. And he's, he's basically going to tell Judas, hey, back off and leave her alone. Now, Jesus has the authority to tell anyone, hey, back off, leave her alone, whenever he wants. He doesn't even have to give a reason. But here's what Jesus does do in this instance. He gives Judas specific reasons why he should back off. Why his response and his attitude is wrong and why Mary's response and attitude is right. And that's what I want us to focus on. And essentially, Jesus gives three reasons uh, for why Mary is right and Judas is wrong. Um, Even aside from the fact that John, the author, who's kind of narrating the story, who he knows the end, right? This is not necessarily like a diary he's keeping step by step. Like he's writing this after the fact. So he now knows who Judas is. Judas has been exposed for, for who he is later on uh, and knows that Judas is actually a thief, that actually he was in charge of the money bag for Jesus and the, the followers uh, and that he was regularly taking out of it all along. And so really Judas doesn't care about generosity or others. He really only cares about himself. So much so that he's blown away that Mary would spend $36,000 to honor Jesus. And in six days, Judas is going to sell Jesus for about $1,000, for 30 pieces of silver. And if you kind of do the same math we did earlier and, and try to make it into modern terms, he sells Jesus for $1,000. That's what he does. And so John is giving us this insight into Judas's heart, but, but I want to look at Jesus' response. And essentially, he gives us three. And so we're just going to go in order, and, it, and we're going to be in verses 7 and 8, and, and we'll just kind of look at those three reasons and then allow that to challenge each of us this morning. So in verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone. Back off, Judas. That part was mine. That one's not in the text. But that's how we would say it today. Back off. Uh, So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, if you... So I am teaching out of the English Standard Version. If you're using one of the Bibles that are in um, the seats, or if you're using uh, the, the Bible app, you're probably in the English Standard Version as well. But if you have a different version, it may be worded just a little differently here. And here's why. The Greek phrase, this was originally, your New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Greek fa- phrase here is like really vague. Um, and so, so here in the ESV, they have it translated so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Um, or yours may say that she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. Or it may say something like she is intending 
to keep it for the day of my burial. But um, even through the vagueness, uh, the point is, Jesus is trying to preserve Mary's faith and the way in which she treasures Jesus. He knows what's coming six days from now. And he knows that on the third day, he'll, he'll raise again. But in that intermediate time, there's going to be another burial. Someone else will be put into the grave. An experience that Mary is all too familiar with and has just gone through herself. Putting someone she dearly loves in a grave. Preparing for their burial. And Jesus pushes back against Judas because his selfishness, his lack of faith, the fact that he values money more than he values Jesus, Jesus is not going to let that rub off on, from him onto Mary. Jesus is trying to preserve her faith and her devotion and the way in which she values Jesus because she's going to need that in seven days. Because in seven days, things are going to be really, really dark. Right? We live on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection, so we already know the end of the story. Right? It's easy for us to look back and, and, and judge people and in these stories and, and in the Bible, because we now know what eventually happens. But when Jesus was crucified, his followers were devastated. Now, imagine quitting your job, leaving behind your home, leaving behind your future. Right? James and John, they left their father's business. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. They believed him to truly be the Savior that God had promised, who has come to deliver his people out of bondage. And then they watched as he was merciless, merciless, merciless. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't get that one out. He was brutally merciful. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, we're going to skip that one. I can't get it out today. I don't know why. But tortured and murdered, mocked and made a public, uh, uh, put up for public humiliation. If you had put all of your hope and all of your future to watch it be torn apart. Those are dark, dark days. And Jesus is saying, Mary is going to need this, the way she values me. She's going to need this faith and this trust and this worship in seven days. Judas, back off. One of the ways that we can apply this to our lives is even in our own life, Our own tendency towards negativity and judgmentalism 
can rub off on other people and affect them, and you don't know what dark days may be ahead for other people around you, and you certainly don't want to be responsible for making those days even darker. And so Jesus tells Judas to back off because she's going to need this in seven days. Here's the second reason. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Verse 8. For the poor you always have with you. Now, this is an interesting statement and has been used in terrible ways by people who've misunderstood what Jesus is trying to say. First of all, what we know from Judas's heart is that he actually didn't care about the poor. He cared about himself. He was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great to have $36,000 in the bag that I like to dip my hand into? When Jesus responds with, you're always going to have the poor, what he was not doing is he was not trying to inform public policy, and he was not trying to discourage generosity. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, where this actual phrase comes from, which I think Jesus is alluding to, uh, it has the exact opposite um, point of view. And so Deuteronomy chapter 15, this will be on the screen and it's already in the Bible app for you. We'll start in verse 1, just because I want to give context, and then we'll jump down to verse 7. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So what this is, is this is what is called the Sabbath year. So when God established the Sabbath for his people, remember we actually talked about this in the park last week, um, that God designed a day of rest for his people. A day of rest that was meant to unplug from some things so that you can plug in to what really matters, and that's relationships, relationships with others, and your relationship with the Lord. That your heart, your mind, your emotions, your soul need rest. You were designed to need rest. Well, God not only designed there to be certain aspects of rest on a weekly basis, um, but also um, on a broader scale. And one of the things that God designed for his people was every seventh year, just like every seventh day should be a day of rest, every seventh year should be a rest year. And the way that that worked itself out in the community was, if I loaned you money on the seventh year, everyone's slate gets wiped clean and we start over. So you don't owe me any more money. All right? And so there was this system designed to bring relief and rest for all of God's people. All right, So that's just the context. Let's jump down to verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year 
The year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. That's key for this. Let's keep reading. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And so as a part of this release on the seventh year, God gives more detailed instructions. And he says, don't base your financial practices around the seventh year, right? Because what would people do? All of us, us included, if we lived in this system, right? And, and this is true. I can say all of us because we all uh, are a little selfish and have a little wickedness in us. If it's year six and you know someone who needs money, are you going to lend it to them? Or if you are, you're going to make it a one-year term loan. And God says, don't do it. If someone around you is in need, don't you dare think about yourself and what you're going to get out of it and base your own personal gain out of how you care for those around you who need something. So if it's year six and someone needs something, you give it to them. And in the year in year seven, their debt will be freed. Their debt will be erased. And then he, God says, and I'll be the one to bless you. I'll be the one to take care of you. And so when someone is in need, we do not think of ourselves. And so the context of what this is about, right? God's saying there will always be people around you in need. I'm calling and demanding and challenging and commanding generosity because there will always be people around you in need. I will bless you for it. You don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about what you get out of it. That's the context. And so when Jesus looks to Judas and says, back off, there will always be poor. You're always going to have the poor with you. He wasn't trying to say, forget generosity. There's always poor people. You're not going to solve poverty. You're not going to fix the problem. Giving that money to the poor isn't going to fix everything. What he's saying is you are always called for generosity. That is always a demand on you. This is not some special circumstance where we should stop Mary from worshiping so she can give to the poor. You should always be giving to the poor. And in, I think in some way, probably only Judas caught the reference. That reference out of Deuteronomy 15 is what? It's all about don't worry about what you get out of it. Don't worry about what financial gain comes to you. You give generously without concern for yourself, knowing that secretly Judas's hand is in that money bag. He says, you always have the poor. The call for generosity is always there. This is not unique. Not unique when it comes to the poor, but what is unique is you don't always have me with you. And that's the third point. Here at the end, for the poor you have with you always, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Obviously an allusion to what's coming up this next week for Jesus and his disciples. 
Mary recognizes the value and the treasure and the worth of Jesus. And there is no cost too great for her to worship him and to honor him. Now, just so we can make this clear, right? This message is not about giving an offering at church. I mean, if you want to give 36000 I'm not stopping you. I'm just kidding. All right. this, this is not what this is about, right? The Bible teaches, and we've taught before, there's an aspect of, of giving financially and worship to the Lord. But, but what this is about is willing to say that Jesus is worth more than anything to me. His value, His worth, His treasure is greater than all. And I would give anything to honor Him. And what does she do? She takes a gift that most people just flat out, honestly, couldn't afford. And she pours it on the dirtiest part of his body. Because the least of Jesus is more valuable than the best of what we have to offer. And I think that's the real challenge for you and I here this morning. Is Jesus worth the best we have to offer? Is honoring him and worshiping him worth everything for us? That we would sacrifice whatever it took to honor him? Or do we represent more like Judas in this? Not that you're a thief or that I'm a thief, but, you know, I'll hang out with Jesus, but I'm also looking to get a little something for myself. Jesus is cool and all, and I like that he makes me feel better about myself. I like that he's my, like, get-out-of-hell-free card. But I don't really want to give him everything. He's not worth everything to me. I'm really just looking to get something for myself. It's like self-preservation. I just would like to spend eternity in a good place, and so that's what he's worth to me. Or is he worth everything? Is the least of him worth the best in everything that you've got? And, and here's one final detail. I want to close with this thought. I don't think this is the main point of the story, but I think the detail is important because John includes it. I want to jump back. Let's go to verse 3, okay, where we read about this taking place with Mary. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This last part is what I really want to focus on here. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Everybody was blessed by her worship, even Judas. Her willingness to totally sacrifice, to worship and honor Jesus, blessed everyone else in the house. When you are willing to give Jesus your absolute best, I don't know what that looks like for you. Here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit will speak to you right here, right now. Whatever it is in your life, 
that you would say, this is the best that I have to offer. This is all that I can offer that Jesus is infinitely worth even more than this, but I'll give it to him. And when God's people will come and say, he's worth everything and I'll lay it all down before him. I won't worry about myself. I won't worry about what's in it for me. I won't be consumed with judging other people's actions and behaviors. What I'm going to focus on is giving all that I have, the best that I have, in honor and worship for Jesus. People around you are blessed. They're blessed when you're willing to worship and to honor Him with everything you have. And the challenge for you and I right now is being courageous enough and honest with ourselves enough to acknowledge what is the best that I have to offer. And, it, and then the challenge is to have the willingness to lay it before Him. The willingness to give it all to Him. The willingness to say, I'll sacrifice all because He's worth all to me. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I just hope and pray as much for myself as anyone else in this room that to say that you're worth more than everything is not just empty words or religious words or words that we feel like we should say when we're in church, but become a true reflection of our hearts. And, and I don't know uh, everyone's heart in this room. I don't know uh, what's going through their minds and what it is that they feel like, this is what I have to offer you. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to each of us whether maybe it is money or maybe it's a talent or a passion or a gifting or it's our time, or it's our energy. But that we would take what we have and give it to you and worship because you are infinitely more worthy than anything we could give. And we don't give out of obligation. We give out of honor and worship to you. And I pray, Lord, that for those who take that step to say, I'll give it all to you, that, that others around them would be blessed by their sacrifice, by their love, by their devotion, by their selflessness. And as we just continue to worship you today, whether it be through our thoughts and our prayers or through the words that we sing or for those of us who choose to, to partake in the elements of the communion table, Lord, that what we do would be honoring to you as we come before you desperately in need, completely unworthy, here to give all that we have to the only one who really deserves it. Lord, would you be honored by what we say, do, think in this moment.